0: We are continuing our series called Resurrection Stories in uh, two weeks. We will be celebrating the resurrection, the central hope of our faith. Without the resurrection of Jesus, there is no Christian faith. Uh, But God is a God of resurrection. And in the Bible, there are multiple resurrection stories, stories of people coming back from the dead. And in these stories, uh, you see the impact each resurrection has Uh, The obvious impact uh, is that the dead person is raised back to life. They're no longer dead. Um, But these stories focus on the impact it makes on the family and friends of the one who died and was raised back to life. And that is what we are emphasizing in this series. The impact these resurrections have on everyone else and what that means for us. The scripture today comes from 2 Kings chapter four. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. Uh, 2 Kings is towards the beginning of the Bible. It's about one third of the way in. Um, There's a bunch of first and second books that are all grouped together. First and second Samuel, first and second Kings, first and second Chronicles. And so if you open about a third of the way in, you may find one of those. And so if you hit Samuel, you need to go a little bit further ahead. If you hit Chronicles, you need to go further behind. We're in 2 Kings, 4, verses 27 to 37. Um, Last week, Brett had us visit the story of the prophet Elijah raising the son of a widow. Now, Elijah uh, lived about 850 years before Jesus, and Elijah had a disciple. His name was Elisha, just to make it confusing. Elijah and Elisha. Now, after Elijah is taken to heaven, Elisha begins his prophetic ministry. And like Elijah, Elisha raises a boy from the dead. Now, some background to the passage we are about to read. Um, In 2 Kings 4, Elisha promises a woman who doesn't have any children that she's going to give birth to a son. And the woman does have a son. But a couple years later, the son dies. And after he dies, the woman goes and seeks out Elisha, which is where we will pick up the story. Um, Our scripture reader is Gloria Gott. Gloria, if you can make your way on up to the podium. As she does, I'm going to ask if you're able to please stand and face the center of the room. Uh, We read from the center of the room to remind us that scripture is to be central in our lives. And we stand because we believe this is the word God. Of God, And so, Gloria, whenever you're ready, please read from 2 Kings 4, beginning in verse 27.
1: When she reached the man of God at the mountain, she took hold of his feet. Gehazi came over to push her away, but the man of God said, Leave her alone. She's in bitter distress. But the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me why. Did I ask you for a son, my lord? She said, Didn't I tell you? Don't raise my hopes. Elisha said to Gehazi, Tuck your cloak into your belt. Take my staff in your hand and run. Don't greet anyone you meet, and if anyone greets you, do not answer. Lay my staff on the boy's face. But the child's mother said, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So he got up and followed her. Gehazi went on ahead and laid the staff on the boy's face, but there was no sound or response. So Gehazi went back to meet Elisha and told him, The boy has not awakened. When Elisha reached the house, there was the boy lying dead on his couch. He went in, shut the door on the two of them, and prayed to the Lord. Then he got on the bed and laid on the boy, mouth to mouth, eyes to eyes, hands to hands. As he stretched himself out on him, the the boy's body grew warm. Elisha turned away and walked back and forth in the room, and then got on the bed and stretched out on him once more. The boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. Elisha summoned Gehazi and said, Call the Shunammite. And he did. When she came, he said, Take your son. She came in, fell at his feet, and bowed to the ground. Then she took her son and went out.
0: Gloria, thank you very much. You may be seated. Uh, Kids often get asked the question, What do you want to be when you grow up? What do you wanna be when you grow up? And typical kid answers, things like policeman. I wanna be a policeman, I wanna be a teacher, I wanna be a doctor, I wanna be a WWE professional wrestler, those kinds of things. Um, now a quick parenting tip, this is a free parenting tip, tip. If you have a kid who's like four to five years old, teach them to respond to this question by saying, I wanna be a biochemical nuclear engineer. Everybody will be impressed, okay? Um, It is one of the earliest questions we get about our hopes. What do you hope to be when you grow up? Early on, we live with an eye on future hopes. Now, when some of us were kids, our hopes were wildly unrealistic, like mine when I was a kid. I wanted to be an NBA basketball player. This is how I envisioned my future, something like this, okay? I uh, loved playing basketball. I played ball in Rec League, and for my junior high school, I would shoot around by myself for hours, imagining myself hitting game-winning shots. I played all kinds of pickup basketball with kids uh, in school or uh, kids in my neighborhood, Um, and I should have known early on Uh, that when you are the smallest kid on the court, my NBA dreams were a pipe dream, okay? There was no way that was going to happen. But I kept my hope until high school came, and I tried out for the high school team, and, you know, I was one of the first players cut. So game over. Game over right there. Um, Now, I continued to play pickup games, and in college I'd play intramural basketball, um, and I still had lots of fun playing, but I was never going to play basketball competitively. And when that reality sunk in... Well, it was painful. All of us have hopes and dreams that go unfulfilled. That's part of life. And regardless of whether our hopes and dreams are fulfilled, we will find new hopes and new dreams. But there are some hopes that you can never go back to, like my dream of becoming an NBA player. This is never going to happen, okay? I am never gonna be sitting next to the Greek freak as a teammate. It's just not gonna happen. Now, if you don't know who the Greek freak is, uh, he plays for the Milwaukee Bucks, it's the team I follow, and he's the reigning MVP of the NBA for the last two years. And he was also the MVP of the most recent All-Star game. He's from Greece. His name is on the bottom right-hand corner of the screen. Okay? It's why he's called the Greek freak. No one can pronounce that, all right? Um, his name is pronounced Giannis Andadokounmpo. It took me about three days to practice that and get it right. Okay? Now, you can't blame kids for dreaming to play professional sports, but it's too late now even for me to dream of it. You know, I'd have to be 12 inches taller, 24 years younger, even have a shot. Okay? So even hoping for that would be a bad thing at this stage in life. Many of us have to have some of our hopes die at some point, which brings us to these resurrection stories, because resurrection equals hope. Resurrection is all about hope. Hope. A desire, an expectation for something to happen. Hope is the lifeblood of our futures. Think about all the plans that we make for the future. It's all based on hope. We study because we hope to do well on a test. We work hard in high school because we hope to get into the college of our choice. We sacrifice for our kids because we hope they can have better futures. We plan for retirement because we hope to enjoy the final years of our lives. We can't wait for COVID to end because we hope to be able to do the things we haven't been able to do during COVID. We fill out March Madness brackets because we hope to beat our friends, only to have our brackets destroyed by Ohio State and Texas losing in the first round. A little bitter about that. It's okay. Um, Without some kind of hope for the future, our lives feel meaningless. And one of the reasons we are so captivated by resurrection stories is because, well, death is death. And if anything ends hope, it's death. And resurrection is all about restoring hope. But there is a risk to hope. When the Shunammite woman comes to Elisha, she says something kind of curious. Uh, If you go back to the passage and look at verse 27, where it says, when she reached the man of God at the mountain, and she took hold of his feet, and Gehazi came over, To push her away, but the man of God said, Leave her alone. She is in bitter distress, but the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me why. Did I ask you for a son, my Lord? She said, Didn't I tell you? Don't raise my hopes. Elisha said to Gehazi, Tuck your cloak into your belt, take my staff in your hand, and run. Don't greet anyone you meet. And if anyone greets you, you, do not answer. Lay my staff on the boy's face. But the child's mother said, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So he got up and followed her. And Gehazi went on ahead and laid the staff on the boy's face, but there was no sound or response. So Gehazi went back to Elisha and told him, The boy has not awakened. What do you want to be when you grow up? We ask that question, because we wonder about children's potential. We want to see what children will become. And the death of a child takes their potential away. Which is what makes the death of a child even more painful. Gehazi says, the boy has not wakened. Her son is dead. And so she says to Elisha, did I ask for a son? Didn't I tell you, don't raise my hopes? Don't raise my hopes. Now that was almost 3,000 years ago and we use similar language today where we will say things like, don't get your hopes up too high. Don't get your hopes up too high. Why not? Because hope is a risky thing. If you allow yourself to hope too much, well, you open yourself up to disappointment. And like all death, when our hopes die, it is immensely painful. And when she says, did I ask for a son, what exactly is she talking about? Well, earlier in the chapter, This Shunammite woman shows great hospitality to Elisha. And so Elisha wants to bless her. And so he is talking to his servant. And if we go back a little bit in the chapter, we'll see what she was referring to, starting in verse 13. Elisha said to to him, Gehazi, tell her, you have gone to all this trouble for us. Now what can be done for you? Can we speak on your behalf to the king or the commander of the army? And she replied, I have a home among my own people. Well, what can be done for her, Elisha asked. And Gehazi said, she has no son, and her husband is old. And then Elisha said, call her. And so he called her, and she stood in the doorway. About this time next year, Elisha said, you will hold a son in your arms. No, my lord, she objected. Please, man of God, don't mislead your servant. The setting of the Old Testament is a patriarchal society, and a woman's financial well-being was always tied to a man. Not saying that's the way it's supposed to be, just saying that's the way it was in this setting. So whether it was her father or her husband or her son, um, her financial well-being was going to depend on one of them. Now this woman had no son, and her husband is old. The time to hope to have a son has passed. It's a dead dream. There are some hopes that you have to let die. For this woman, having a son was a hope she had to just let go of, and she had. It was a painful reality that she had to accept. And so when Elisha tells her that she's going to have a son, on one level, it's cruel. Because it's too late to have a hope like that. But miraculously, she has a son. And her hope, which had died, has been resurrected. But then her son dies. It's a brutal, brutal irony. And she says to Elisha, Did I ask you for a son? Why did you raise my hopes? We can only have our hopes dashed so many times. It takes a toll on us. To be successful, you have to be resilient. This is true. It's a part of life. And in our careers, we all have setbacks. We don't get a promotion. We lose a job. uh, Business deals go south. And every time our career hopes are dashed, it takes a toll. And we have to grieve, and we have to cope, and we need to find a new career goal to put our hope in. In our relationships, we have setbacks. Rocky marriages, difficult friendships, alienation from our parents or kids or siblings. And every time our relational hopes are dashed, it takes a toll. And we grieve and we cope, and we find a new relationship goal to put our hope in. We all have brushes with death, accidents, heart attacks, stroke, cancer, COVID, and when we have a brush with death, we hope and pray for a recovery. And sometimes that recovery happens and we celebrate. And sometimes we lose. We lose the battle. And there comes a moment when our hope dies because we know our loved one isn't going to make it. And all we can do is grieve. It takes a toll. We can only have our hopes dashed so many times. And it can lead to despair and disillusionment. And because of death, why have hope at all? And the Bible even alludes to this. In the book of Ecclesiastes, where it says, Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. We have to have something in the future to hope for. And while we don't like to talk about it, the one thing looming over all of our futures is death. Generations come, generations go. And death is always looming. And at some point, we all ask the question, why did you raise my hopes? Where there is hope, there is potential disappointment, there is a risk to hope. Another thing about hope is you need a reason. You need a reason to hope. I've talked before about the difference between hoping and wishing. Wishing, you can wish for anything. You need a reason to hope. If you have a really hard test coming up and hope to do well, you need to study. Studying gives you a reason to hope. If you hope to have a comfortable retirement, you need to be working on a retirement plan. That plan gives you a reason to hope. Now, studying doesn't guarantee a good grade, and retirement planning doesn't guarantee comfortable retirement, but they do give us reasons to hope. The actions of Elisha were done for a reason, and those reasons were a source of hope for him. Let's look at what Elisha does. If you go to verse 32 of the passage. When Elisha reached the house, there was the boy lying dead on his couch. And he went in, shut the door on the two of them, and prayed to the Lord. Then he got on the bed and lay on the boy, mouth to mouth, eyes to eyes, hands to hands. As he stretched himself out on him, the boy's body grew warm. It's a little strange what Elisha does here. The boy was lying dead on the couch. Elisha shuts the door and prays and he lays on the boy mouth to mouth eyes to eyes hands to hands now if you were here last week this should sound familiar to you last week Brett shared how um, Elijah raised a boy from the dead remember Elisha is a disciple of Elijah well what did Elijah do when he raised a boy from the dead First Kings 17 says, give me your son, Elijah replied. And he took him from her arms, carried him to the upper room where he was staying, and laid him on his bed. And then he cried out to the Lord, Lord my God, have you brought tragedy even on this widow I am staying with by causing her son to die? And then he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried out to the Lord, Lord my God, let this boy's life return to him. And the Lord heard Elijah's cry and the boy's life returned to him and he lived. The boy lying on the bed, Elijah takes him to an upper room and prays, stretches himself out on the boy three times and the boy's life begins to return. Now, when Elijah is taken up to heaven, his disciple Elisha receives a double portion of his power. And so we have multiple reasons to hope here in this story. One is a resurrection of a boy has been done just like this before, by Elijah. And Elisha has a double portion of Elijah's power. And after Elisha stretches on the boy once, the boy's body becomes warm. Elisha has reasons to hope. And he needs to give the mother reasons to hope, too. You see, when you have reasons to hope, you become a person of hope. And the world is full of despair. And it needs people of hope. But in order to be a person of hope, you have to have a reason to hope. And this is not just a story about the resurrection of a boy. It is a story about the resurrection of hope. Going back one more time to the passage in verse 35, where it says, Elisha turned away and walked back and forth in the room and then got on the bed and stretched out on once more. The boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. Elisha summoned Gehazi and said, Call the Shunammite. And he did. And when she came, he said, Take your son, and she came in, fell at his feet, and bowed to the ground. And then she took her son and went out. Just like Elijah, Elisha stretches out on him again. And the boy sneezed seven times. Now, question is, what's up with the sneezing? What's up with the sneezing? Um, seven is the number of completion. So the seven sneezes is most likely a reference to the boy's complete Restoration. And I looked I went looking for some explanation of sneezing in the Bible. This is the only time in the whole Bible that you will find the word sneeze. Whether it's in the English or in the original Hebrew, it's the only time it occurs in the whole Bible. Sneezing is just simply it's a sign of life. I think of in the movies. You know, in the movies when one of the main characters is near death. And we're not sure if they're going to make it or not. And so someone is doing CPR on them or other life-saving measures on this character. And then there's this, it's like clockwork in every movie. After they do all the life-saving measures, there's this pause, dramatic pause, to see what will happen. And then the character takes a deep breath and starts coughing and opens up their eyes. And you know that they're going to be okay. It's a happy ending. Well, that's what the sneezing is in this moment. It's the moment. Life has returned, and everything is going to be okay. The boy sneezes seven times. As sure as he was dead, he's now alive. When her son died, this woman was in despair. Now the woman has her son restored. Now the woman has her future restored. And now the woman has her hope restored. Without hope, our lives are meaningless. And what the resurrection did for this woman is it reminded her, regardless of what tragedy strikes, regardless of how many times our hopes are dashed, regardless of how often despair rears its ugly head, that her best days were ahead of her, Because of the resurrection, there's a reason to hope. The resurrection restores your hope in hope. And because death is always looming, and as we age, we feel the sands of time slipping through our fingers, the future becomes something harder to have hope for. But hope is the lifeblood of our futures. And because of the resurrection, it doesn't matter how close we are to death. Because of the resurrection, our best days are ahead of us. The resurrection restores your hope in hope. Now, we are still going to have certain hopes dashed. It's a part of life. It's inevitable. Some things won't turn Out, And we will still have to grieve our loss. But while we will still have to grieve our losses, we do not have to despair. As the Apostle Paul told the Thessalonians, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. Just like the Shinnomite woman, the resurrection is our reason for hope. The world is full of despair. It needs people of hope. And we have the reason to never stop hoping. Grief is a part of life. And when we lose, we grieve. And we should grieve. But when we grieve, we do not despair. The resurrection overcomes it all. Please pray with me. And Lord, we are so grateful of the hope that you give us because you are God of resurrection. And Lord, I pray for all of us who are grieving. Lord, for some of us, our grief may not be that deep. Lord, for others of us, the grief we are experiencing cuts to our souls. And Lord, I would ask that you would bring comfort to all of us, wherever we may be in grief, And Lord, restore in us the hope of our salvation because you are God of resurrection. And it's in the name of Jesus, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Receive God's blessing. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.